0: Welcome to the Sunday night service. We are in our fourth week on conversations on race, and glad you're able to join us. This week we're uh, discussing the theme of justice, and so what the Bible uh, has to say about that. And um, we've been even in Ruth, as in the Sunday morning service, we've been hearing people's stories, right? God's stories of people throughout Scripture, and uh, that's our goal. We continue to hear and reflect on the stories that that God has laid out in Scripture, as well as our stories and how those intersect with each other, and the Word of God, and how God's uh, guiding us and changing us uh, through that. Um, Tonight, we've got three panelists. I'm going to have them introduce themselves, if they would.
1: My name is Charlie Miles, and I am on the facility staff, and I've been here about 10 years now.
2: Awesome. And I'm uh, Philip Miller, and I have been on staff here at the Moody Church for, I guess, two months, so good to be here tonight. And I am Tony
3: Derns. I've been here for 12 years. I currently serve as an elder at the Moody Church.
0: Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here and taking the time and uh, just sharing sharing your stories, sharing your thoughts. And um, that's really what we're doing is we're trying to um, – how we're thinking and processing and living out the gospel, right, and being faithful uh, to Scripture and, and God's call in our life. Um there, there's one theologian, as he uh, reflects on the, on the book of Proverbs, kind of talks about um, justice being summed up in this way that, that it's, it's the righteous. You have the, so, just you have the righteous and the wicked contrasted through Psalms and Proverbs. That, that theme gets contrasted a lot. And he says, you know, the righteous are those willing to disadvantage themselves for the advantage of the other right? And then for the wicked, they were willing to disadvantage the community or others for the advantage of themselves. And I think that's a great way to kind of sum up kind of um, what's going on um, in those books, but also uh, the theme of justice overall throughout scripture. And, and the, probably the tension and the temptation that we feel on a regular basis is that, right? That, that uh, me first, or do I, put, do I die to self and put others first and ultimately Christ uh, first in that? So uh, with that in mind, um, we wanted to think through three themes, or as we look on Scripture, we see three themes that stick out on the idea of biblical justice. And, and we're, we're going to walk through that a little bit, and, and you guys are going to share. Uh, the first one being equity, right? Uh, equity, and the second being advocacy, and third being community. And those three themes, I think, are pronounced throughout Scripture, and we're going we're gonna to focus on that as kind of our guide as we think through and start things off here today. So Charlie, would you mind uh, walking through equity for us? Yes, sir.
1: So equity means to be straight, to be level, um, and when I think of this, I think of the verse in um, Leviticus 24, when it says, you are to have the same law for the foreigners as for the native-borns. And thinking about that, especially last night, and just praying about it, um, I, it got to a point where everything started to make sense with today. And how the law is not the same for everyone. And that's why, so we know the root is sin, but the offspring of the sin is the looting and the the riots. And it's because the law is not the same. Now, the answer for that is Jesus Christ. The question is, how do we get there? How do we make the law, which is made by man, the same um, when we know that we live in a sinful world? Man, Wow. Great.
3: Yeah.
0: No, that's, that's, you've laid it out well. And I think that's an equal treatment under the law. That is, that is so uh, much the case. And we see that throughout Scripture in a lot of different places. You mentioned that. Uh, Tony, would you mind walking through for us just advocacy, what that looks like scripturally?
3: Sure. Um, when I think of the word advocacy, I, I think of Proverbs 31, eight and nine, if I could just take some time to read that scripture for you. It says, or reads, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And so what comes to mind, um, as I think through advocacy, is pretty much um, we, uh, we must have a special concern for the poor and for those who are uh, marginalized. And oftentimes, um, um, in today's society, um, we miss the mark on that. And so, sort of piggybacking off of what uh, Charlie said is, um, as the church, those who have put their faith in Christ as his Lord and Savior, um, it's, it's how do we get people to understand what the Bible has to say about uh, advocacy in a biblical sense.
0: Yeah, no, that's so good. And it is, it is concern for the marginalized, concern for the vulnerable, like you said. And, and we see that theme all the way through. And I'm glad you mentioned, too, like when that's not there, right? Yeah. Um, may, maybe speak to that right now, and any of you can jump in here on, on that, like when we don't see, whether it's equity, whether it's, um, you know, the, the, this advocacy that we're, we're, we're what, when it's not there, what, what do we do? What, what should be our course of action?
3: Sure. Well, um, again, I just think to the scriptures. I think um, there was a dilemma in the book of Acts where you had the the widows, if you will, those who, again, were marginalized. Mm-hmm. And the Greeks or Grecians began to speak out on that matter. And from there, um, seven men were chosen. Seven men of faith were chosen, deacons, to address that situation. So I think as we, as believers, we see the marginalized again, and I see that as... Being the poor, the widow, the orphans, and things of that nature, how are we coming around them, and how does that look? And in in the process of that, how do we bring glory to God as a result of that? That should be the the byproduct or the end product of that.
0: Yeah, I love it. That, that's a great example of just the church stepping up to engage and 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 step out in faith for sure. for the vulnerable, for the marginalized, and those. Uh, in focus. So yeah, what a great example that is. Philip, um, community is the third piece. will you Will you speak to that for us?
2: Yeah, I'd be glad to. So this is interesting. in in the scriptures, um, righteousness, as you were quoting Bruce Waltke earlier, righteousness is a willingness to disadvantage myself for the sake of the community. Wickedness is the opposite. I'm willing to disadvantage the community to enrich myself. And so an example of this is the gleaning laws that we're seeing applied in the book of Ruth. Um, these are in uh, Deuteron- Deuteronomy 24, where God said, you're not to maximize your profit margins as a farmer. You're supposed to leave the the margins of the field, the corners, unharvested so that the poor can come and, and actually, you know, they can harvest the grain and and beat it out, and they'll have something to live on. And so it's, it's kind of like um, a welfare program uh, in Israel. Um, and so to be a landowner, to have that, you know, the resources, not everyone has those. And so God said, "I want you're not to squeeze every drop of profit that you can. You're supposed to leave some margin there so that the poor can actually survive and live and, and all of that. It was very fascinating. Mm-hmm. And what's also interesting is that the poor have to go get their own food. So it's not like our welfare system where it's just like well, we just write you a check and you don't have to do anything for it. It, it's actually, there's a lot of effort involved in going to glean and get the stuff. So this doesn't fit ni- neatly, you know, in any economic system. This is a uniquely biblical way of viewing the world. And so what you have is this worldview of, uh, in the Bible, that we are all interdependent members of community. And some of us will disproportionately benefit in society and others won't. And righteousness means not consuming all of my assets, all of my resources, as if I'm entitled to the entirety of them, but to recognize that I have obligations to the community. Sure. And I have obligations to other people. And so my life is not just my own. I am a part of a huge society. I have responsibilities to that. And not only that, they have a claim to some of my resources, which is amazing. But that's what's built into the law of God. Mm-hmm. And so you see this. And you see it in, in the New Testament, 1 John 3, 17. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but all, also in deed and truth. So, so even in 1 in uh, John, what you have there is this call to, to um, if you have resources, if you are in society and you've got more than you need to just survive, we're talking about roof over roof over your head, uh, food for your tummy, you know. But if you've got more than that, yeah, um, and you see a brother in need and you close your heart to that need, you, that's not the love of God in you. That's something else operating. That's that's not the spirit. That's your flesh. Mm-hmm. And so you could say you love God, but let's not just say it. Let's do it. And so this is the call of, of justice. We saw it, uh, you know, as Pastor Ed was talking, um, preaching through the book of James, in James chapter 2. Uh, you know, don't show favoritism. If a rich person comes in, don't treat them differently than a poor person coming into worship. What's the point? Well, the gospel says we're all equally acceptable before God on the basis of Jesus alone, by faith, through grace. So if I differentiate between that guy and that guy based off of material resources, I'm actually not operating out of a gospel uh, worldview. I'm inserting uh, the world's way of looking at people on top of that. And so it's a fundamental denial of the gospel. So justice has, it's equity before the law, It's advocacy for those who are falling through the cracks, but it's also this willingness to sacrifice my rights, privileges, and squeezing every ounce of profit out of the world that I can have in order to better the community. That's what righteousness looks like. So justice has all of those pieces kind of wrapped up in, in one.
0: No, well said, well yeah. said. And I love how, like, the implications of that, even as God, as we think of God's economy, right? And that He's not primarily um, focused on me getting all that I uh, want in a certain lifestyle, but, but the community is strengthened, you know, um, and this interdependence, which isn't easy, it's, it's, it's difficult to live that way. But when we do it well and we do it faithfully, we see the strength of the community. We see the strength of the human race because of that. So I love that. Those are, those are some great, um, great markers to go with. So what does this meet look like in the real world, right? What does what is, what is this vision look like? What is maybe the lack of this vision look like in the real world? Can you speak to that?
1: Yeah, I can. Um, okay. <laughs> like Pastor Phillips said, we have a human responsibility to uphold righteousness. But what happens is sometimes righteousness stays inside of the church, hmm. right? So we have we have no one to um, to uphold it in the streets. So it becomes a them versus us. Um, so now it's oh, those are the church people, and they only care about church people. We we are us, and we have to care about what what we do. And it relates back to the church, where the church says we're going to worry about what goes on in here and not what goes on out there. So it's a a bridge that needs to be rebuilt. The question is, that I have, is how do we do that, right? So we, we have these great conversations, which I've watched all of, and they are great, but how do they get out to people that's not a part of the church? How does the church... That should uphold righteousness. How do we spread that?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a great question. That's a great question. Tony Philip, any thoughts on that? On as Charlie poses that question.
3: Well, I think um, <clears throat> I think Charlie just really summed it up. And the question that that that's posed. Um, it's a very good question and I think we have to really take time to think through that. Um, so I maybe not the best to really speak on that, but, um, one thing that, that sort of comes to mind is you think of by the hand club, right? Um, we see a need, we pray about it, we seek the Lord and we just put it in practice, we, we act based on that conviction. And so I think it just really boils down to um, having a spirit aligned or in tune with what God has to say about these things. And it's certainly going to take for each individual, for, for everyone who proclaims to be a Christian, to die to self mm-hmm. in order that, we might be filled with the spirit, and then from there we 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 uh just trust and obey and do what the Lord is calling us to do
2: it's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so, about it. That's really insightful i if I could just add a thought here is um I think first we just we've got to recognize that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Sure. you know, justice is not always carried out. righteousness is not. You know the way it is when we pray. You know the Lord's Prayer. You know, um, uh, Your Kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're recognizing that God's will is not done on earth as it is in heaven. There are injustices. There is a lack of righteousness in the world, and um, and yet all of us have a little domain of influence, right? Um, I've got my my life. I've got my family. I, if I'm a business person, I've got my business. Um, if I'm working in an office, I've got my, you know, my team. Mm-hmm. If I'm working on a construction site, I got my crew. Sure. I got my my colleagues. I've got the people I'm working with, my coworkers. And all of the interactions of my life are either moving toward justice and righteousness, or they're moving away from, right? And one of the Beautiful things is we all have this sense of domain. And so one of the things I'm responsible for is to say, okay, if God, if Jesus had my domain, how would Jesus lead? How would he shepherd? How would he care for this domain? And my job is to bring a little piece of justice, a little bit of righteousness into what I have influence over. That's what it means to be a kingdom person. I'm bringing my kingdom in submission to christ's kingdom and i'm bringing to bear the way he would want the world to be in my little space i can't do it perfectly but it's still my calling Amen. and Amen. um and, and maybe th- this is a story it's not from me uh, actually uh, tim keller um told us in one of his uh, messages one time and i i hung on to it, it was really good um he had somebody he knew in the deep south had a car dealership and, um, and, and the way that the transactions happened in this car dealership, um, it was like a haggle culture. So you went in and you really negotiated hard. And so the, the salespeople had a great degree of freedom as to how much they could discount a car up until a certain mart, part. And it was just a haggle culture. And what they found was not everyone was haggling equally well in that environment. And so they found out that men in general haggled more effectively got better price points than women. And they found that white men were negotiating better than, say, black men. So they, they actually, this is a Christian man who owns this dealership, he started um, looking at his price points on his, on his sales history, and he realized that uh, this was the order, that white men were getting the best discounts, followed by black men, followed by white women, and the people who were paying the most for vehicles were black women. And he, and he was clearly in the data. And he had never seen that before. And he sat down he said, oh my goodness, without intending to, without doing anything on purpose, the black women in my town are subsidizing the white men. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Financially. Wow. And he realized, I've got to change my business practices mm-hmm. because this isn't just. Mm-hmm. It's not equitable. I'm not advocating for... Right? I mean, it's not biblical justice. And he realized, I've got to do something about this. So he retooled the way they did uh, sales in his whole enterprise because he wanted to be a person of justice. And see, that's to me, that's Jesus-like. That's biblical justice in action. It's like, how do I take my domain and ensure that I'm being fair and equitable in the way that I'm conducting myself in the world? And sure. Now, I don't own a car dealership, so I can't do that, right? But a lot of times I've thought about this in my tipping, right? One of the ways I can, and this isn't a race thing. This is just a class thing. One of the ways I can be generous and enact justice is by tipping well. Mm. Because when I tip well, I'm acknowledging there's some, there's some inequities in this world. It's a little thing I can do to try to make a, better, make a difference. And um, and I think that's the call of the gospel. I ought to be a good tipper, if I'm if I'm paying attention to the the gospel entailments on my life.
0: No, that's good. I love that yeah, story, yeah. and I think it highlights kind of where I wanted to go next. With, with you've mentioned the, your domain, right? Your individual responsibility uh, and what that looks like, but also alluding to in this situation with the car dealership, the systemic effects, right? And and and. Can you guys speak to that a bit, just maybe where you've seen that or experienced that, observed that in, um, in your lives?
3: Sure. Um, well, I have a personal experience. Um, a few years ago, Sania um, and I tried to refinance on a home. Both of us have excellent credit um, that the income ratio was the norm, below average actually. And for some reason, um, and by I may add um, strong work history as well, um, but for some reason, uh, this a particular lender just kept driving us towards a, a higher interest rate. And it didn't make sense to me at the time, Um, why they kept doing it. And although um, I would ask questions, they would come back with some sort of answer, a script answer. And um, after the refinance um, was over or completed, I would say maybe about six months to a year later, uh, we received a check in the mail. And it was from uh, this lender and come to find out this particular lender was sued through a class action lawsuit for uh, forcing minorities or blacks, I should say, uh, or people of color into subprime loans. Or um, so with that, uh, that's one personal way that I've experienced uh, systemic, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, racism, Um, that's.
0: Yeah. No. Thanks.
3: Yeah. Thanks for that,
0: Charlie. Any any experiences you've had?
1: Uh, so many. So many. Let me think. Um, just coming to work. Uh, about I want to say seven or eight months ago, I would come off Lakeshore Drive, and there was a police officer. He was sitting in a car, and I would ride past. He pulled me over the first time, and I thought maybe it was something I did, because uh, I do turn that corner real fast and he asked for my license my insurance i gave him all of that and he went back to his car sat there for about 30 minutes came back told me i can go um, the next day the same police officer pulled me over again exact same location i'm not just hey you know i work at the moody church here's my I my, my id you know you have my license you have my insurance you know i have all that stuff He never said anything he just used to take it go back sit in his car and it got longer and longer where i used to have to text my supervisor like hey i'm right outside of the church could you come out here or i have to take a picture with the lights on in the back like hey i'm being held again it went on for at least a month and a half to almost two months before um i finally just asked him like hey am i doing something wrong And then I just called the police myself one day, like, man, I I keep getting pulled over. He's taking my ID and my insurance. He's not writing me a ticket. Um, Now, do I believe part of it was because I'm black? Eh, Yeah. But I also believe that we live in a society where the system says that I'm doing something wrong. What am I doing up here? It's 545 in the morning. Um, Head on. Mm. Sometimes music loud, you know, I I don't have a reason to be up here. You say you work at the church, but do you really do that? I think it's a system that's put in place where the cop could have been white, black, Asian. It doesn't matter. He probably still would have pulled me over to make sure that I was doing what I said I was doing. But it's because of the system that we live in that I'm looked at as different than someone else. That probably wouldn't have happened to you. Probably not. So yeah. if that's one way I've saying it recently, but it's I got a ton of stories about it.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, and the, the thing that's hard is there's just enough of those stories that you kind of say, what's going on? You know, like like it is true that we've made progress on this conversation and over the years, but we're not done. We're not done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and your your mention is, you know, this is not this is not equity. That's not how the law would be enforced for me. You're not actually doing anything wrong, right? You weren't breaking sure. the law. And yet it it felt kind of harassing and demeaning and um, and that's that's not there's there's not justice to that. And I think we have to we have to acknowledge that. Like there it's there are still issues. And, um, and if the people of God are not willing to call it out and say, boy, there's, there's a problem here. We can do better than that, mm-hmm. you know? This is, not the, this is not the way it should be. I think we've got to call that.
3: Yeah, right, right. yeah.
0: Appreciate you guys sharing these stories um, of, of just how at the center of it is, is the state of our heart, right? Like, whether it's that police officer whether it's the lender that you mentioned, uh, any of us, right? That 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 we there's there's you know pools we swim around in every day, right? And and that how we function there. Sometimes we're just we're just going blindly, just kind of like not even thinking about it. But there's still a responsibility, whether it's intentional or unintentional, to examine my heart as I interface with other human beings and how I do that. And I think. Um, that that's so key. Can you guys speak to just the need to for heart examination, navigating our heart, and then maybe specifically how the gospel helps us to do that?
1: So, what comes to mind is um, in the Bible it says, "Do nothing out of selfish ambition or in vain concept, but in humility, considering others better than yourself." Right. That was a uh, a Bible verse that I was taught when I was a teenager. Um, and that was one of the first Bible verses I had to memorize, right? And and it was because we had a problem with looking at other people that wasn't the same as us differently um, and not in a good way, right? So my youth leader would come and say, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner. But a, a 14, 15-year-old kid is like, what? I mean, whatever. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) Um, You're telling me to hate, but don't hate. So um, what happened was, doing Bible studies, what we used to call campaigners, we used to have to learn a Bible verse. And that was one of the first Bible verses I, I, I learned. And as I got older, you know, it started making more sense to me. Like, wait a minute. These people are just like me no matter what they believe in, no matter what they love, you know, and I start to love people where they needed to be loved, right? Because the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Sin. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. Right. So I need somebody to love me at the level that I'm at, right? Because I have sin in my life as well. So I begin to start seeing people for who they are mm. and loving them, trying to love them on a the level that they need to be loved on. Um, and hopefully that they can see um, Christ in me while doing that, and not sure. trying to throw scripture or anything like that in their face. Sure, yeah,
3: yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, I would say certainly. Um, I, I, I hesitate or pause to to use the word victim, um, but you know, um, because that's a whole nother subject in and of itself, but as I've experienced some racism or things of that nature, um, or you see it in your walks of life, um, the one thing that I'm reminded of through God's word, Ephesians 2, more specifically, um, we're a one in Christ, and as I'm saying, as I have experienced things or see it, um, there could be a, a, a sense of bitterness or a sense of anger for some of the things that I've experienced, and so as a Christian, I have to always um, do my best to tune my heart to what God will have to say about A situation, or just simply in its word. And um, that's the thing that I've kind of continued to work through um, is just to recognize that we are one in Christ. And um, I think God has already um, um, done it all for us. It's just that we have to kind of work to that, we have to grow into the grace that He's afforded us. So, um, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at with that.
0: Yeah, no. And, and thank you for that. And I think Charlie is a reflect on what you just said. Um, you mentioned the, the love of Christ, but like extending grace, right? Like, like, and, and given the benefit of the doubt and, and that love of, I think is so powerful and that that's not just a one-time deal, but that's an ongoing, ongoing right reality as you get to know people. And that there begins a track record there of faithfulness, of like, you know, well, I think that guy's the real deal. And well, you know, and, and his words are matching up with his actions. You know, and over time, history discloses yes or or no. And I think I think that's it. And 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 at the crux of it is really knowing, right? In in time, getting to know that person, or, or knowing the Lord, that, that yes, he will. Uh, not leave me. He is justice. He, he embodies in his person um, that what we're talking about of, of advocacy, of equity, of, of community, and I think that's so key. Um, but there's brokenness, right, that we're we're walking around in and we're interfacing with every day. Of like, oh, that's not that's not the way it should be. That's not the way it should be. Sure. And I think we're that's where the tension is, and that's where we feel like this the rub and like Lord. Lord, come back, you know, Uh, we need you. And it drives us back to the gospel. And and, and it needs to also uh, expose our hearts to be examined, to say, okay, yeah, that right there, that wasn't right. But also, Lord, I'm responsible to see how my heart positions itself against whatever that was. And and I'm I'm thankful for you guys, just even sharing your attitudes and your hearts and how you've navigated injustices in, in your life. Um, Philip, do you have anything to add on this,
2: brother? Um, Two thoughts. One is, um, I think one of the things that has helped me tremendously is over time really um, getting into relationship with people who don't look like me, act like me, dress like me, whatever. And that's not just white, black, but that's multicultural in general, right? I mean, um, we we kind of make assumptions, stereotypes, prejudice um, in, in sort of hardening the categories in our mind about, well, those people are like this, right? And we all do it even if we don't think we're doing it. We we have a tendency to um, to take a limited set of data that we see on the news or in a sitcom or whatever and then just map that over an entire group of people and say, well, that's how they're, they, they all are. Mm. And what I've learned slowly over time is that the more I'm in relationship with people, um, the more I realize those stereotypes are really over... They're caricatures. They're oversimplifications mm-hmm. of of the, the, the diversity of, of who people really, really are. And if I could get out of my little narrow expression of reality and broaden it out and kind of understand what it's like to be in other people's shoes, that helps tremendously. And... And in, in talking with my black brothers and sisters, like, I have realized, like, the country we grew up in is very different. It's a different thing. That My experiences, just my assumptions of what America is and how life is supposed to work is very different from the experiences of my brothers and sisters. And, you know, I can either normalize my own experience and say, well, that's just, you know, how it is and the problem's you because... You have different outcomes or whatever or I can in compassion and empathy actually say what is it like to be I can't get there a hundred percent. But that's incredibly helpful to me is to say what's it like to be a, a black man in growing up in Chicago. What do you have to deal with that I don't have to deal with like and then to just be like some of it's sad. It's like that's really sad and I'm so sorry We've talked this way, yeah. Tony. Yeah. I'm so sorry sure. that the system has so rewarded me for things that I didn't even do. Mm-hmm. And in so many ways has made it really hard
0: mm-hmm.
2: for African American people in this country. Like, I'm so sorry it's like that. It's not right. Mm-hmm. This is wrong. And and I don't know how to fix it, but at least I can have empathy in it. Mm-hmm. Um Because I should care, shouldn't I? I mean, we should care. And so I think that's maybe one thing is just like I've learned, I've just learned that I don't see the world the same as everybody else. And that's a little thing, but it's a huge thing. Um, The second thing is I think think we have to recognize how deeply rooted self-righteousness really is. Mm. Um, And there's something in the human heart that wants to take uh, what is true of our culture that's different from other cultures and draw, make it into a moral thing, like it, we're better because we have this thing. So here's a, here's a simple example. Um, a friend of mine is, is a Western American, and he married uh, a Latina gal, and uh, at their wedding, all the, all the people from North America were on time, punctual, sitting in the pews, right? And then like 45 minutes later, her family started showing up, right? Now, all the North American people are sitting there going... This is what's wrong with South America. These people aren't punctual. They're lazy. They don't have respect for people. I can't believe we've been waiting all this time, like drawing moral high ground around it. Sure. And the, all the Latino people were coming in, going, "Look at those stodgy, uptight white people." I mean, you know what I mean? Like, like everyone's like, "What's so? Why are they so uptight? Just relax, man. It's a wedding. Enjoy it, you know." And like, it's just, but, but we do that, don't we? With culture, yeah. we we say this is what's usual and typical for us therefore it's morally superior it makes us better this is what it's, it's not better it's just different mm. just because they do it differently doesn't make it you know what I mean but we tend to make it and so this is where self-righteousness comes in and say well well I'm better because I'm punctual I don't waste your time that's a moral high ground and I take pride in that and I look down on you because you didn't honor time and you're lazy sure. and all of a sudden what I've done is I have now added to the gospel I am now saying who I am is not just saved by grace through faith but I'm actually a better human being because I'm punctual. Mm. And I have just taken a little bit of pharisaic self-righteousness and let it creep in. And that's really the issue in racism and sexism and all the isms yeah. is is when I I feel the need to somehow bolster my sense of self righteousness and the gospel slays that. Mm. The gospel says you're nothing but filthy rags. You're saved by grace through faith. You have nothing to stand on. And that, that's the connection. We all know racism is sin, but see, that's the connection. The gospel says you, you, there's no time in your life where you should look at someone else and say, thank God I'm not like that person or sinner that I'm different than them. Sure. That's not the gospel. That's pharisaic, self-righteous. That's building my identity on something other than grace. Mm. The gospel says, no, chief of sinners, I have nothing to stand on. Therefore, I look at everyone else as someone I can't ever feel superior, right? So you have in James chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, you have this this line. I think it's so brilliant. Let the lowly brother, he's talking about a poor person, boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because what you have there is the gospel that sets the world right. Even the poorest person has been exalted in Jesus. Mm. And the richest person has been humbled in Christ because we are all sinners Mm -hmm. saved by grace. Mm -hmm. So if you're poor and you're prone prone to look down on yourself, you remember your high position. And if you're rich and your signature sin is to kind of be egotistical and think much of yourself, you remember your humiliation. The gospel comes in and it sets everything right. And that's how we're one new man in Christ. So somehow we got to get that to filter all the way down to our hearts so we start living differently so that the gospel has entailments for every interaction with every race, every gender, every kind of people on this planet.
3: Yeah. Wow. That's a drop the microphone (laughs) moment.
2: (laughs)
0: i love it no it, that, is, that is so good because i think you know you started off you know, listening and learning right listening and learning to our brothers our sisters anyone who's different than than us um is so key and then and then seeing the centrality of the gospel just exposing my self-righteousness and i think you know as you share share that philip there's there's such depth to that to think i'm i'm good and then, then the Lord shines the Holy Spirit, you know, just in his word on that. And you're like, oh, oh, there's more to deal with. Oh, I got to, you know, the, the roots go down deep on this self-righteousness. And and so that's, you're right, that is so key. And to begin to think through the, the effects of that when, when, when I begin to to take the medicine of the gospel to see the corporate effects, right, of, of each of us individually taking hold of that and then what that does to a community of people that are committed to to the gospel and, and the process of preaching that same gospel on a daily basis to themselves and taking hold of that truth yes. and activating and, and appropriating it in their own lives. Powerful. So, Philip's already alluded to this, but like, um, how do we turn the corner and move, you know, uh, in, a, in a better direction, right? And as we move forward in um, being people of justice, being people who are faithful to, to this call that God has uh, on equity, advocacy, and community. What, what does that look like? Any, any kind of suggestions uh, practically as we, as we move forward?
3: Wow. You want to take a shot at it? (laughs) Uh, Just be people of God's word. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, we have to daily um, strive to have a biblical worldview. And I I think it's just that simple. Mm -hmm. It's to confess that sin, acknowledge it first as sin, confess it give it over to the Lord and allow him to just work in your heart. Um, and again, um, from that, um, you change who you are and it's, it starts with self. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lord willing, others will see the good works in you. Um, and they're not your good works, but it's, it's really, um, I'm trying to think of the passage of scriptures where it says, um, uh, good grief just blew, left my mind. Glorify God in heaven. Um, come on, someone help me out. Yes. Let your light so shine that when others see you, they glorify God in heaven.
2: So Mm. that's
3: where it starts Mm -hmm. itself. Yeah.
0: No, that's good. That's good And,
2: and I think I'm, I don't want to sound like a broken record, um, but for me, the most helpful thing has been to slow down and to intentionally reach outside of my normal circle and build friendships. Moody Church is a great place to do that. I mean mm-hmm. with with as, as many nations are represented here at this church, like what would it look like to just make friends across your normal uh, social, economic, political party lines. Sure. To reach out and and just get to know what life is like from their perspective. Yeah. And I guarantee the some of the assumptions you've made are not right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: And uh, some of the things that you just assume about people are not even close to real. And there's pain. And there's realities that you haven't even thought of. And um, but you've got to be willing to let your world get a little bit more complicated. You know? Yeah. In our, you know, in our political environment, everything's binary. It's got to be put in, are you in this group or this group? And like the world is not split evenly into, you know, into two buckets. It's much more complicated. And I think we've got to, the church ought to be the place where we as God's people are willing to, to take bold steps to figure this out. I mean, I think of like in Galatians 2, when um, Peter is hanging out with the Hebrews and ignoring the Gentiles, and Paul has to call him out and say, dude, why are you only eating with the Hebrews mm. mm-hmm. instead of eating with the Gentiles? Aren't we all equal in Christ? Yep. You need to move tables, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's not just tables. It's, it's an entailment of the gospel. And to to not allow the gospel to shape my social interactions is to deny the gospel. And so in this case, like maybe we need to move tables, you know, maybe it's as simple as moving tables and eating with people that you normally wouldn't eat with Mm -hmm. and asking them about life and hearing from their perspective. And I'm telling you, if we could all just do that, just those little steps, our worlds would get a little bit bigger our, our categories would get a little broken down and we'd start to see the world as it more realistically is. And then we'll see injustices and then we'll rightly want to get them right and we'll want there to be equity and that'll make us more advocate. It will be more of a, a chance of being an advocate to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I'm the righteous person who's using my position of, of honor and, and affluence to help someone who doesn't have a voice And I can advocate, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden now I'm doing the whole suite of what biblical justice is, but it all starts with me having the conversation. It's it's Boaz who sees the worker, you know, the Moabite girl in the field and doesn't know who she is and doesn't know her story. And he asks and he finds out and he invites her to the table. And all of a sudden this beautiful story of redemption and justice unfolds Mm. all because he broke the ice and he crossed the normal line, you know? And, like, I think that maybe that's where it starts for us. That's good. And that's really Jesus, isn't it? I mean, Jesus, who being in very nature God, yeah. didn't consider equality with God, with God something to hold on to and use for his own advantage, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being found in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Mm. Why? He crossed the ultimate line. Sure. Talk about a class line, a race line, right? A theological, he crossed over to sit at the table with you and me and in doing so brought us into redemption and made us part of the family of God. If he did that for us, that's how our story started. Mm -hmm. Then of course we have to do that for other people. Of course. Amen. You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts, Charlie, as we close up?
1: Yeah, just to piggyback off Pastor Miller, um, I think we need to be like the lady with the issue of blood. She took a risk, right? She took a risk to reach out and touch Jesus. Mm. I think sometimes we get comfortable, right? We get comfortable with 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 the word, which is okay, but we don't take risk anymore. We don't touch out, we don't reach out to touch the master's robe. Mm. We don't reach out to touch Christ because what if it doesn't work? Right? What if I try to get to know you and we don't, we don't mesh. What if I don't like your experience? So we block each other off. Mm. And I think that the easy answer is to say, it's going to take time. But the harder answer, the more difficult response is to say, let me be the woman with the issue of blood. Let me reach out and, and touch. Let me reach out and being, try to get to know Tony better. Yeah. And me, it's being persistent right. as well. Yeah. So. so
3: yeah.
0: That's good. That's good. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. No, it's it, good. It, it reminds me of um uh Zechariah seven, um, I think nine to eleven the issue is fasting there, but it's in the context of justice. And 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 so with justice being try being carried out is the what is fasting? Well it's 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 self denial, right, of food, but it's also um this idea of repetition like yeah ongoing like each week or or on a repetitive basis so i think that those things highlight even as we think about relationships and and getting to know one another like it's not one a one-time deal but it's like doing life on a regular basis on with with frequency and getting to know one another in that more and more intimate way i think is such a, a powerful A powerful thing. What comes to mind is the the phrase, "You know, we're fused together in our brokenness, right?" Mm -hmm. And the gospel welds us together. So, as you know, as you mentioned, us getting to know one another, like we need to expect there's going to be brokenness there that we see. There's going to be messiness that we see as we get to know one another. We should anticipate that and be ready to extend grace, not condoning the sin, but but saying, "Okay, I'm I'm with you, and and you're going to see some of mine too." And in that you know, having that sturdy type of relationship that when the bumps come that we're not kind of just putting the wall up and saying, see you later. You sure. know, I've been here before. I, oh, you're just like all those other people, you know, no, but just saying, I'm going to push through and I'm going to get to know you as a, as a person and then seeing what God does like that. And, and just with you, you should with, with the, uh, the one with the blood, like that's it, just step out in
1: faith and see what the Lord does. Um, that's a powerful thing.